Oh, that can yeah, cracks. That. Yeah. that is a universal sound. I'm Mike Wolf here with Kenneth Dedman and Paul Vaughn. <laughs> Where the seeds are sowing and the beer is flowing. Welcome back to a very special edition of Liquid Gold right here on WeOwnThisTown.net, the We Own This Town podcast network. I'm your host today, Mike Wolf, along with my co-host, Kenneth, Kenneth Dedman. Mm, in fine voice today, my Thanks. friend. Thanks, Mike. And we are joined. We are joined by uh, Nashville Brewery, Bearded Iris' co-founder, Paul Vaughn. Mr. Paul Vaughn, back in studio. Great to have you back. And you're so much wait, wait, more. Wait, 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 sorry. He's so comfortable this time around, too. Co-founder or founder? We'll just call you founder. Co-founder, yeah. Founder. Co-founder. It takes a lot of hats to make the beer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. It's so great to have you back, Paul, in studio, uh, hot on the heels of our Nochino Shots episode. We got to sit back on a Monday afternoon and drink Nochino. That was amazing. How's the uh, how's the Nochino drinking been going in the house? It's been good, you know, yeah. just just a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. So a little yeah. nightcap. Yeah, just wind kinda... it down after dinner, after a nice big plate of pasta maybe. Or, Definitely, yeah. yeah. Some ramen. Mm-hmm. Going to have to try it with ramen now yeah, that Black you... Dynasty's open. So, so Paul... Um, co-founder of bearded iris and bearded iris is growing and has the new location over at sylvan supply on charlotte it's 4101 charlotte avenue and you've got some new food going on there the black dynasty ramen folks have set up shop there and uh what kinds of uh crazy offerings are those guys doing you know everything coming from chef Bruni's mind uh yeah you know there's gonna be ramen bowls uh sandwiches some little bar snacks coming as they grow um, kind of feeling it out uh, through the growth and kind of the neighborhood. So that's awesome. great. And y'all open back on Halloween. It's been we've been open. The Sylvan Supply has been our German our spot over there has been open since the mask mandate really lifted. Kind of a little bit after that, we did some soft opens and then rolled right into it. And then yeah, they just launched last night for the ramen. So there's a little kitchen in the back and a food window. So. Nice, killer. Yeah. Are you are you doing any um, are you doing a bunch of brewing over there at the uh, Sylvan Supply? So it's Sylvan's our R and D spot. Yeah, so oh, it's a cool. smaller brew house, uh, seven barrel system, uh, with a focus on loggers. So if you come check it out, we have six horizontal logger tanks right behind the bar. Kind of a similar vibe when you come into our Ger- Germantown spot. Mm-hmm. You walk in, you can see that the beer is made right there. Yeah. We wanted a similar feel, um, a little more moody. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little more closer connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, so right when you walk in Sylvan Supply, the brewery's right in front of you. Again. Awesome. So and then that carries you over to where your beer is served from the bar, right from the tanks. Well, I wanted to start to talking about. Um, we're sitting here on a beautiful autumn day, uh, and we're drinking a pitcher of beer. We're splitting a pitcher of beer, which you don't see as much anymore. Um, it's part of all of our drinking history, I think. Kenneth and I, and Paul, I know yours too. But talk to us a little bit about what was important about the pitcher to you and how the pitcher is like kind of a symbol of how you like to share beer, how you enjoy beer, but it was an important thing for the founding of Bearded Iris. So, and I found that really interesting when we were talking about that the other day. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, what's behind that. You know, we all know pitchers very well, but kind of the idea when we were coming together, trying to figure out, you know, what Bearded Iris would be, uh, what kind of beers we were making, uh, we always looked at like a pitcher being on the table, being very communal, uh, bringing people together. Generally, if you drink through a pitcher of beer, that's a good beer. You know, if you're not trying to force your way through it. But if yeah. you know, if you enjoyed that pitcher of beer, that's a that's a good beer. Yeah. You know, it was probably a really great conversation, really easy, just really 
a positive time with friends mm -hmm. uh, around a table. So we really like liked that aspect of it. You know, you wouldn't necessarily drink a pitcher of, you know, something crazy high alcohol. You'd have smaller pours of that. But if you're pouring pints, a pitcher kind of is like built for the table and the people around it. So we just wanted to bring that easiness uh, into the styles of beer we were making. So very, very balanced, very nuanced, easy to drink a pitcher of. Yeah, and I feel like does some of that that nuance that comes through with the balance of the hops, and we're talking today all about the balance of bitterness and sweetness and how that plays into so many different aspects of beverage, non-alcoholic beverages, cocktails, spirits, wine, beer especially. But can you tell me a little bit about, uh, just because I know that you're passionate about food and you know a lot about wine. You know a lot about spirits. I would say you're you're more knowledgeable about that stuff than most brewers, and you're more passionate about that side of it. You're kind of a worldly guy. I like drinks. Um, yeah, yeah, you're our kind of guy. Yeah. Is that how you arrived at the place of these balanced and kind of nuanced beers? Because when I first tried, you know, you brought some in to Husk. You had kind of early batches of what was going on, the home style, I think, and what was the hoppy one that we really wanted to get, but it was like hard to get it right at the beginning? Right when we opened? Yeah. It would have been Habit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that was special. Yeah. And it was like, damn, what is this? We need this. Yeah, tell me a little bit about how those beers came to be, how those like early beers came to be, because they were special for a lot of people, because around here we hadn't tried a whole lot of that hop nuance and really that like perfect marriage of sweet and bitter. So tell me about how you got there. I think, you know, it's just over the course of learning and opening a brewery, uh, we really learned a lot, you know, and our team really helped us grow a lot to where, you know, we made different styles of beers when we first opened in Nashville. And what really started resonating people, though, that we, you know, noticed was our hoppy beers. And so we kind of started leaning more into those. Mm -hmm. um, one of my business partners, uh, Matt Miller, was really wanting to lean in like really enjoyed the new england style like that softness that balanced a little more sweetness kind mm -hmm. of less west coast bitterness mm -hmm. um and really wanted to lean into that and give it a try and home style is the one that really kind of put us on the map um people started paying attention a little bit more uh we also it's the first beer we canned so we were able to access an audience that uh, mm -hmm. had a little bit more depth to it than just draft beer at the time, being a new brewery. And that's what we're drinking now. We're drinking the Homestyle. Homestyle. Um, so. Which has been a, a, a cocktailable beer as well. A lot of people um, around town have made cocktails with it. It's got like a grapefruit, almost Campari kind of friend. It's a friend to Campari. It's a friend to different drinks. It's a great... People have used it to top off a lot of really cool cocktails. Scott's, Scott Soifer is one who loves it in cocktails and has made some really great cocktails with it. It has that lovely um, citrus note to it. But uh, so you guys got known for um, this nuanced style of New England, New England style hop um, IPAs. So when you come onto the scene in Nashville and, and those of us who tried it initially, we were trying early batches and people are getting excited, you know, because I would have gotten excited if I, if I had known you, you know, Curtis introduced us and it was like, oh yeah, this guy's great. <laughs> making, making a really nuanced beer like that and, and sort of, you know, being part of the change in Nashville to thinking of Nashville as more of a beer town. And is that, so we've had, uh, 
Southern Grist on the program. They were on our very first show. We talked about hop sourcing. We talked about some of those, so like the way that they think of hops and how they treat them and how they're looking for different varieties. Was that what it was or what else was it? Is it like you, you just had good sources for hops and you're thinking about the ingredients. Better ingredients makes a better beer. Having those ingredients. So yeah. sourcing of ingredients, you yeah. know, we, um, we do not grow the ingredients ourselves. So you have to pay attention and really focus on the details in a different level through sourcing or you know, which farms are growing the best hops or your barley or what we even have access to. So we always looked at trying to grow our sourcing uh, from the very beginning. So working with high quality malt, maltsters and trying to get our hop contracts up so that we could source, you know, keep digging in at trying to get the best hops that are being grown um, in the world. Yeah. And, and when so, you say get the contracts up, that means you, you ordering a certain amount and kind of being like, we're, we're going to be here for you. We want to, we want this relationship. Yeah. So when you yeah. get, when you buy a certain amount of hops, you have access to picking through lots mm-hmm. so you can buy a lot from this farm or buy a lot from that farm, or you can blend lots depending on your volume of hops that you go through in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of over the years, we've been able to have more access to hops and hand select. And in the very beginning, um, we were happy to just experiment with hops. You know, there, there are a lot of new hops coming out then to where it was exciting to get in these new varieties and mm-hmm. really just try and find and showcase that what that hop is good for mm-hmm. um, or notes that we could bring out in that hop. And then having a sweet, you know, malt backbone or sweet base to balance that on that really showcase the aromatics you know the flavor and aroma of those hops mm-hmm. i think was really where our brains were coming together uh to create a really nice nuanced flavorful product yeah killer well and you're you're far from you know a one trick pony or even four trick pony uh you do all these different styles now you've got this huge breadth of you know amazing stouts um because when i was at uh Kuchny and keller great beer beer hall uh in germantown and we had amazing beers coming in from all over the world and there would still be times where you know we'd get a special keg from you guys that would come from down the street and we'd be like this is still the best thing we have on the menu this is still the best we, we think this is you know one of or if, if not the best beer that we have and i always thought that was so fascinating because we were working on getting like a pilsner from italy it's like we can just get that tipo pills keg and we'd get it in we'd be really excited but then we get something just as good or just as exciting right down the street and that was fascinating to me tell me about growing the brewery and getting into stouts and and eventually making that pep talk pilsner which is one of my favorites that you make i love that one um that one went fast the other night when we were passing them out uh at the end yeah. of shift yeah. uh That's that one went fast beer. yeah for sure uh it's like gatorade you know for restaurant workers but uh <laughs> Um, tell me about growing it and getting into these different styles. Like, is that something, were you always into all the different styles of beer or how did, how did it, like it widened out so much? It was really impressive to me that it was like, wait, wait, look at all these stouts get, they're making. I want to speculate first. Yeah. Speculate. Did you get sick of that guy that would come up to you, say like, uh, in the tap room <laughs> or something like that? And he was like, you're the owner, right? <laughs> I don't like, I don't, I don't like hops. <laughs> <laughs> like uh i would get sick of that guy over and over every day telling me how much he doesn't like hops that i would make a beer and for him but disguise it as something else yeah i think we say a lot uh we kind of when people don't like hops we say well 
try some of our hoppy beers. What people don't like, or it's kind of a split coin. People really like bitter beers, or they really do not like bitter beers. Is majority, I would say, would be like a good split of IPA drinkers. True. So generally, somebody coming in saying they don't like hops, a lot of the time is the bitterness of the hops. And so if we can kind of, part of that education is showing them the flavor and aroma of the hops, you know, you could ask them, do you, do you like citrus? Do you like, like uh, sweet tea, you know, and kind of more of those nuanced or fruit tea, more of those nuanced things. You can then give them something that is totally new to them. And then they say, oh, I'm going to be back for another IPA. Yeah. So I think it's just about the education side, you know, still hoppy beers or New England style IPAs or all the other IPAs that are being produced right now is still very, some parts are very new for being an old style of beer um, that's covered all of the world. But as far as how hop farms are creating more fruit forward, citrusy, oily products for brewers to innovate with. Uh, that's really changed people's palates and what could be possible. So it's we've really looked at the that feedback loop. You know, we have ideas of what we like to drink. Uh, pep talk pills or lager is definitely one of those at, at, for a shift beer. Yeah, but kind of that feedback loop of what consumers are also enjoying and they want to drink from us, and so we can match that and marry that uh, to where we are still innovating getting to play and have R&D and have some fun stuff come out and learn on our side of things too. Yeah. It seems like people, you know, who aren't brewers say stupid things like, oh, well, that's how you know if someone can brew beer is how they brew a Pilsner. Do you view it that way? Like, do you look at the Pilsners that people make and you're looking to see like how much and, and, and quantify for us a little bit, like what that is? Like, is it how nuanced can you be? How serious are you about the water? How, you know, what what is it about that kind of magic of a great Pilsner? Because um, I was having a conversation when I handed one of those off to somebody, and he was way into Pilsners. He, didn't, he, he was new to Nashville. He'd never tried it. So I was like, oh, you're in good hands. And we talked about some of the Pilsners that we like. And it's interesting how different they can be in such a simple beer. So how do you view that? And do you think that it is a really nice showcase for what a brewer can do i do yeah. i think it is a very simple beer mm. and a lot of the simplest beers are some of the greatest examples of beers in the world um, they're very very simple just executed properly um, and dialed in i think with you know pilsners and different lagers there's not a lot to hide behind yeah um, and so everything is kind of up front mm-hmm. um, and with them you kind of want to round the edges so everything's in its place. Yeah. Kind of similar. We think of Pilsners like we think of IPAs, you know, everything balanced throughout it, you know. Yeah. And if something's out of balance, how do you slide that scale to get it back in balance? Mm. Um, so that's kind of the whole experimentation of creating beer. Is yeah. getting to learn as you grow with new ingredients, new styles. With something with fewer ingredients like that, um, <laughs> I could see it being more difficult. But is it... Uh, is it when you're brewing an IPA, you can maybe alter the hop character in one way if you're not getting what you want, or if it's like tea that got over extracted, you can add more water or kind of, uh, you know, make a bigger batch if you need to. Or, but is Pilsner a little bit more difficult in that 
you know, if you mess something up, it's hard to recover or it's, I would say it's equally difficult. Yeah. I would say they're equally hard. They take different levels of time. They use different yeast. So it's just working with that yeast Mm. differently. Mm. So equally as hard uh, to kind of walk that line and balance it out. And what are these experiments like that you're doing at the new location, Sylvan Supply, 4101 Charlotte? They got the Black Dynasty ramen rolling. It's all happening over there. It's all going down. West Nashville, the return of West Nashville. Yeah. Sorry. Fuck you. Was that their slogan? I don't know. Uh, I just, <laughs> old it's Nashville. West, West Nashville's here. new slogan. Yeah, yeah, fuck you. Uh, but yeah, tell me about like what those experiments are like. You're experimenting with loggers, different different method. We really we wanted a place to where you know we could have more, a little bit more freedom, less constraints on batch size and ingredient sourcing. Uh, kind of with wor- the world is growing for sourcing ingredients and freight, mm-hmm. but also just somewhere where we could really play and experiment not on the same scale that we do have for our production facility. Uh, But that also opened the door for collaborations Mm -hmm. and smaller partnerships, more Mm -hmm. community-focused. But really the biggest idea was a place for logger or a pilsner. So having a little bit more time um, in the space and the turnover to really just let loggers relax and do their thing um, and chill. Is there some yeah, served directly at that source? Uh, so what we have over at Sylvan Supply is beers from here and beers from there. So all the beers from here are made at Sylvan Supply and only available there. Mm-hmm. Where beers from there are made at Germantown, and we also package cans and kegs, and you can see them uh, throughout the markets that we work with. Yeah, cool. We went a place that was very much in the community. The experience was being there. Can you uh, can you real quick? You you, you referenced um, uh, freight freight and sourcing during these during these times currently can you uh give us a current update on are you are you sourcing like more american products possibly or does that matter uh i think it's just people are sourcing a lot now you know the world is opening back up safely and i believe that it's just like kind of turned all back on all at once yeah so it's always been busy i think it's more people are more aware of it now you know, the freight companies and logistics companies have been busy through the whole pandemic, as far as I understand. You know, yeah. um, our team grew during the pandemic, so we were definitely sourcing a lot of ingredients and malt and barley and hops. And I believe that's just the world coming back online. Yeah, all at once. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. You had mentioned a little bit about the loggers. Like, you're like, I just want to let them chill. I want to let them settle. Is there something about that to a logger that, that's, that's really important? Is it like... Oh, I'd love for that to sit there for a certain amount of time, but business sense dictates maybe I shouldn't do that. Tell me a little bit more about that. It's definitely time is a consideration with all the beers. They need time to condition Mm. uh, and really almost when we're talking no chino. Yeah. uh, They need time to sit and marry together. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just instant. Right. So um, we are working with, with beer a product with yeast so yeast picks up certain ingredients absorbs them uh, continues to ferment out uh, depending on different temps slowly or fast Mm -hmm. and so with lagers it's all slow and low so you want it to slowly ferment uh, condition cold uh, and so that's how you get that crispiness that cleanness Mm -hmm. um, if all the details were there Mm. cool so it's almost like brisket 
You know, it's like slow and low. There's no, there's no way you're gonna get this brisket in three hours. It's just not gonna happen. Some things you can't rush. Yeah, yeah, cool. So that's that's what lager is. It's the mm. brisket <laughs> of the beer world. <laughs> that's why they two go so well together. Maybe, <laughs> or cooking a brisket goes well with drinking lager. I will say, I, I know that. I would agree. It's uh, the slow and low beer. It's the uh, it's the beer to not rush. But uh, there's some other styles of Pilsner that kind of uh, that inspire you. So tell me, tell me about that. Uh, Czech dark lagers. Yeah. So we've done a collaboration collaboration with Threes in Brooklyn uh, for a few years now, to where we take oyster shells and use them in the beer to create a That's minerality uh, to add almost like a blue collar burgundy. <laughs> wow. To being brewers we can't pick that up from the soil necessarily. So what's a way that where we can get minerality, just like, you know, modifying your water profile with different salts, mm. uh, oyster shells do that as well in the beer. And so we brew a Pilsner with oyster shells up at their brewery. And then we started kind of the yin and yang and we do a check dark lager at our brewery. And so with that, there's darker malt in there, mm-hmm. but it's still cold, still conditioning, still slow and low. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we use those oyster shells to add this minerality, which is just another one of those pieces on that sliding scale. I dig that. That allows you to kind of adjust your sweetness or your bitterness. And so it's just another love that. another layer, just like water profile modification. But whenever it starts conditioning out, there is this note uh, that we always get that's almost like Coca-Cola Classic. Mm. Uh, when you smell it, and I think that's just one of those where you get dark, like sugar, but mm-hmm. bitterness, mm-hmm. higher carbonation. It's kind of like the perfect storm of things coming together. Yeah. It throws off and balances that. But yeah, we always that's get amazing. Kind of, we're always like, oh, it's kind of like Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's great. Because Coca-Cola is this, uh, and that's something that, that you and I have talked about off mic and talking a little bit at Audrey. I had you try the Coca-Cola that I was making there, or the, so cola, the cola syrup. Um, and so I've done a lot of research myself. Um, Coca-Cola was basically started in Atlanta. That's where the players play. Yeah, Coca-Cola started in Atlanta, late 1880s. A guy named Dr. John Stith Pemberton, local pharmacist, um, he produced the first syrup. And he was feverishly, if you've ever seen the uh, Drunk History episode of Coca-Cola, really good. Really good. He's just like a wild man cooking wine with cocaine and just like going out of his mind. But basically, what was all of a sudden not available is... um, French fortified wine called Vin Mariani. Vin Mariani was a cocoa wine and patent medicine created in the 1860s by a guy named Angelo Mariani. He was a French chemist. He's like the French doppelganger for this dude Pemberton in Atlanta. Well, he became quite intrigued how uh, Coca-Cola or how coca and its medicinal and economic potential after reading about the effects that coca had on people. He uh, began making and marketing this coca wine called Vin Tonique Mariani, which was made from Bordeaux wine and coca leaves. And so this was similar to what Pemberton was making, but the reason that, that uh, Dr. Pember- Pemberton wanted to make this Coca-Cola was because they stopped importing the Vin Mariani to Atlanta. So it was like people in Atlanta, you know, it was basically like if they were like, sorry, Red Bull's not available. Or any energy drinks, they're gone. You know, some local dude would be like, oh my God, I need to start making this. I'm addicted to it. And so that's kind of what happened. And Mariani had upped the cocaine level 
because it was like becoming this arms race where people were like, I don't know, it's a little better with like seven milligrams. And he was like, well, I do it six in France. It seems fine. Nope. Now that you're shipping into America, you got to up it. And this is the 18 fucking early 80s. It's like up the, up the cocaine, Mom Noro. <laughs> and so um, once that that was not readily available in Atlanta, it led to uh, Coca-Cola being created just incredible so i had done some research and looking at old ingredients and i think what was fascinating to me about coca-cola was it was like this marriage of citrus and spice with a few things coming up the middle to like confuse everything so it had the orange oil lemon oil lime and lime juice on one side and then the spices being like a cinnamon uh cola nut which i used some sarsaparilla to get some vanilla flavor um, I used a little bit of clove and star anise, and uh, but it was coriander was one of the key ingredients to me. Coriander was something that kind of confused it all. So I wonder if that's like the oyster shells for you, giving some kind of minerality. But in terms of experimenting with liquid and making different things, was the oyster shell like giving you a mineral? You, you talked about like messing around with mineral salts. Do you do that with your water at Bearded Iris? We modify our water. Yeah. And so was there something, did you like actually, is there a lab that like you're, you're, you're noticing that the oyster shells are giving you this particular salt? Like, is it that crazy or can you not, you can't talk. When you, ta- <laughs> when you taste the product, uh, yeah. when you throw a hundred pounds of oyster shells into a batch of beer, it, it definitely has an impact on that, on how that presents on your palate. It's incredible. Is this common? I don't know about other places using like a ton of oyster shell People action. use them in oyster stouts. Yeah. Um, They've, they've used them across the board. You know, if you have more access to oysters, there's a good chance you've used them. I was down in Apalachicola recently where there's oysters that, like, they kind of make up the parking lot a lot of times. You're just walking on, like, old oyster shells or uh, they they uh, fortify the concrete with, with oyster shells. But there's Oyster City down there, and they make, some, they make some really nice beers. I feel like they've messed with oyster shells before, but this is super interesting to me that this could be a really – if it's adding – something similar that those mineral salts are adding then it's a huge thing it's giving you a lot it's a giving you goes a long way yeah you okay. start playing with water and uh-huh. how that displays you know if uh-huh. you take a uh, four glasses of water you put a drop of let's say lemon juice in one two in the other three then four or you take uh, oyster shells and leave them in water mm-hmm. that water is going to obviously sit totally different even if the oyster shells were uh, really clean and you weren't getting sea notes just leaving that in the water you're going to get that breakdown of the oyster shells mm-hmm. and those will display very different yeah fascinating so is cool. this the kind of stuff that you obsess over day in and day out just drinks in general yeah you know yeah i think there's a lot to be informed from other types of alcohol when you make alcohol you know what is the wine industry doing or what can you learn from that that would inform your palate of how you could innovate or change a beer or, you know, what can they learn from beer that they could do with wine, maybe lower alcohol or, you know, I just think being cognizant of everything being produced is, you know, it helps inform how to be a maker or how to influence a product in a way that is different or new or mm-hmm. fun or just, you know, little details. Yeah, or just Enjoy. better. Yeah. When you're looking at the balance of sweetness and bitterness, is it more intuition for you? Is it more like, ah, uh, okay, I'm like, working with my palate and my brain or are you looking at bricks are you looking at like there's a number that you like i think um w- w- are you basing it more off feel because i feel like 
one of the things that's really interesting about you guys is there's a lot of like creative inspiration. There's a lot of like brewing this for us because we think it's cool. But then there's also some sort of nuance and some side, some sort of mastery of balance that I feel like might come a little bit on a technical side. I'm just speculating. I don't know. But um, how do you kind of pull all those things together? Uh, from a team. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it is, it's all the minds coming together to really balance that out. You know, if we all sit and taste even uh, this home style, you know, how does it display to you? Uh, there's going to be some underlying notes, um, but also everybody's palate is different what you're coming in and drinking um bef- you know what did you drink before you had this beer uh that all affects things but i think our team is just we're all looking at how to have a really soft palatable drinking experience um and so sugar is a big piece of that of how it sits on your palate mm-hmm. and it's tasting you know we have our styles and things we've learned over the years and that our team has really dialed in and I think it's just kind of that informs the next step. Tasting, sensory, sensory, sensory. So mm-hmm. we taste all of our products. Uh, we have a sensory team. Um, so we're always constantly watching QC, tasting our products, staying dialed in on aroma validations mm-hmm. so that we can sit together and describe what we're experiencing and tasting and be on the same wavelength and continue to inform how our products are made as a team yeah well we can't let that just go by talk let's talk about aroma validation because i love that (laughs) uh because aroma is so much of it and we talk about it in the cocktail world you know aroma is huge and when you can add a little bit of aroma that's a lot of what the garnish is about or you're spritzing a tincture on top or you're spritzing an oil you're working on something you know i worked on a aromatic tincture that's based on a lot of the old soda shop styles where you're just trying to give aroma to the top of the glass and so you're concentrating as much ingredients into a tincture and giving that uh that similar kind of unmistakable coca-cola angostura type thing that you're like i don't know what that is but it's a mixture of stuff that like makes me happy and makes me feel warm but tell me about aroma validation and what you're doing there and how aroma plays into it because that's fascinating to me and that's a huge part of beverage I I think it's just a big part of, you know, making sure your feet are underneath you. And Mm. when you say strawberry, are you smelling strawberry or is there some romanticism behind that or some place or memory to where that's coming back to you? So that's all of you talking as a team and you're like, you know, I need to know because, yeah. You'll sit down and, you know, uh, you can blind things or smell strawberries and just, you know, or if you're going in a grocery store, I think on like a home level, like. Sometimes get some different fruits, Mm -hmm. smell them, taste them, you know, like that's all going to inform your palate, you know, experience the world. Right. So just, uh, but aroma validation would be more just like locking in those aromas and revisiting them so that when you can describe them as a team, everybody's saying the same things to communicate on an accurate, in an accurate way Mm -hmm. so that you're not lost in, we're all saying the same thing, but we can't communicate. Mm-hmm. So being able to communicate to change a product is very important. It's just kind of staying up to date, keeping your mind sharp, you know, seeing how strawberries are smelling now. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so any of the things that uh, that you're thinking about just in everyday life, like Nocino, uh, as we talked about on the Shots episode, you have this beautiful Nocino that you made at home um, that we loved. You know, Coca-Cola, and we've talked about that, and I feel like we're on the similar wavelength there where it's like this search for a mysterious harmony of things. And for me, it was like I had it. And then when I let, I was like, I got to let 
some of the zest and the spices sit overnight. When I did that, more sarsaparilla came through in a way that I was like, oh, I had it. I caught lightning for a second and then I kind of lost it. So now I'm like trying to catch it again and trying to find that mystery. But so how do you, do you take those things that are like in your life, do those make it into like a stout? Or have you ever thought about, I'm going to make a Nocino stout or I'm going to fuck around with like cola nut for a lager or thing. You know, like do some of those things make it in there? Are you sort of like, I'm trying not to be too whimsical because whimsy is a big part of beer now. We all put in different ideas, you know, yeah. we, we constantly have new beers coming out. And so, uh, when people have ideas of their favorite desserts or something they had, or a coffee drink they had, or, you know, a fruit combo or a smoothie, you know, we're always around each other working. And so that informs kind of just the general consciousness of how we're thinking about beers and new flavors. And, you know, it really takes the team coming together to wrap your head around that many flavors and new styles to create. Mm-hmm. So I think we look at it as sometimes seasonal, mm-hmm. you know, what would, what would be good for the holidays, you mm-hmm. know? Um, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's just like, man, I had this really good drink. What if we could do something or a riff on that? And yeah, it. But, it just yeah. snowballs from there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's, that sounds There's like a lot a of good ideas. There's a lot of good ideas in the teams. <laughs> Everybody's very, uh, food and Bev. So they, they enjoy food, enjoy drinks. And so it's a easy conversation with everybody about those things. And so sometimes it's the simplest thing that sparks an idea in somebody's mind. It's like, somebody's like, oh, we should make that. And then Brandon, our head brewer and everybody comes together and uh, really dives in on it and tries Mm -hmm. to make our best version that we can. Has there ever been a, uh, as I'm getting to this other beer, we're going to, we're going to try some attention, please. A double IPA here from Bearded Iris. Uh, kicking up the alcohol a little bit. Yeah. 8.2%. Yeah. Well, it's happy hour yeah. now. Homestyle was uh, six, so we started slow. Well, I guess we started high, then low. No. There we go. Have there been some, as I get this into a pitcher, we're all going to enjoy a little bit of this in the pitcher, as we've been talking about. Um, have there been some experiments where you're like, uh, not quite, guys, or, you know, like, is there like a pizza stout that didn't work? Is there a <laughs> is there a ramen noodle IPA that didn't quite get you know? We've definitely you know dialed in our beers over the years, and I I think overall we've had some fun experiments that did work. Um, and you wouldn't see experiments that didn't work. <laughs> yeah, but right. It's right. Uh, we wouldn't see them. But overall, we you've probably seen them. We really have to trust our systems and our process and our teams, and so we believe in the beers that we're making. And so we actually did a beer with Christie's Cookies, and we added cookies to the mash tun. But oh, we went wow. and tasted with Christie's Cookies and got to try, you know, like brownie edges and all this crazy stuff. Looking at the products that they make, it's like, well, man, we didn't make a brownie edged out, but that. Maybe, that's a great you know idea, like yeah. just oh yeah are they spell, what are they doing with the brownie edges are they just like we need to figure out something to do with this or they they kind of they compost them i don't know what they're feeding now they, feed a, a, they compost yeah. them like or? a murder of crows on the roof yeah <laughs> <laughs> halloween already happened bro <laughs> but it's you know just uh that tasted like a chocolate chip cookie so that's one of those crazy ideas where people came up with it and it worked and so you really want that to happen every time, right? But you also have to constantly push the boundaries and question if you can make those things. You know, if you were to have like a a coffee drink, you know, we like using coffee and coconut a lot to where your uh, pastry stouts, as you're talking, um, to where it tastes like a dessert. 
and you need a lot of sweetness for a dessert like that. But with the sweetness, you can balance a lot on on, on that. Uh-huh. So you can have more adjuncts, a lot more cinnamon, you know, a lot more uh, coconut. And so to really bring those flavors down. Cool. There we go. That sounds good. Yeah. Thanks to Darren, our key grip. So when you're when you're thinking about coffee and you have to think about hops a lot, what's your scope of ingredient collection? Like are you like, yeah, there's these hops in Michigan we love, we gotta get those down here. There's these hops in Washington State, they're perfect. That's my guy. He knows that those are for me. I got my guy down in California, I got my buddy down here in Alabama that does coffee. Like what's your scope? Is it worldwide? Is there a worldwide, guy in Russia you know? who's got some hops? Because we've heard about these Russians <laughs> with hops. There's different, I don't want to mention any names. There's but. different vanillas you know, that grow around the world, and so they all yeah. have, have their own expression. Mm-hmm. And so when you're, making, you know, when you're making something like a pastry stout, you know, where you, what coconut you're using, is it toasted? Is it raw? Is it um, sweetened? You mm-hmm. know, I think just the sourcing of ingredients would be you know there's so many great ingredients around the world it's just can we get them to use them in a product right. yeah and so that's what we're always trying to do is find those fun ingredients uh and then sometimes you find ingredients and that informs on like well we need well if we did something with this because this is a really cool ingredient there's some great apples growing here you know let's let's use those apples yeah um, that's awesome and build something from there or build back so that's fun stuff to me because uh in making vermouth it was like we would try to get a certain kind of wild, certain kind of dried rhubarb. And if we got it from, you know, whoever on Amazon and got it in, it was just like, ah, that was kind of disappointing. But then, you know, you hook up with a small farm on Etsy. You get that real rhubarb. Yeah. And you hook up a little small farm on Etsy. They've got this much. This is all they're going to have this year. And it's a huge difference. So I don't think... I feel like people don't understand how important that is, um, and maintaining that is probably a lot of what you do, day in and day out. <laughs> You're like, yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> Sourcing is a big part of a brewery. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There's constantly re- shipping and receiving, constantly. Yeah, uh, it's just a lot of raw inputs mm-hmm. uh, to make the beer that's in your glass. Yeah. So killer. Well, tell us about this beer that's in our ga- glass. This is called Attention Please, and this is, uh, is this on the newer side for you guys? Uh, so this is more OG for us. Okay. So uh, this is a Attention Please. It's an all-citrus double IPA, New England style, hazy IPA. It is lovely hazy, so this color in our glass is gold, I would say. <laughs> it's literalism here on liquid gold. Yeah, it looks um, like, like fruit tea. Right, and we mentioned fruit tea yeah. earlier. That's kind of a lost beverage of Nashville because that was like you go to the Sunset Grill, get a nice fruit tea with Back your in lunch. The day, yeah. yeah, yeah, everywhere had to have fruit tea. You got an Arnold Palmer, what you got some fruit ha- tea. You know what happened to fruit tea? Is it still it's still out there at like maybe Arnold's and some of the meat and threes? But uh, I think Clearview and Murphy's were some fruit tea. Okay, well, yeah. that's Clairview. Yeah, but we might need a fruit tea episode, bud. Let's wow. make, well, I'll make some fruit teas and bring them. There we go. Shout yeah, out. Come back. Clearview Cafe in Murfreesboro. I Holy love it. shit. Yeah. Ken's getting excited now. have been around as long as Prince's. Fruit tea shots episode. Spring? That'd be great. Let's do it. Let's do it. You'll, you'll have some stuff growing in your garden. Oh, yeah. Able, I don't know. Then you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can we source, some kind of can fruity we herb? From, can we source from your backyard? Of course. Fruit tea is a... Uh, a note we kind of say with home style sometimes, you know, where you get that 
that sweet tea, that citrus, that kind of complexity within like just something really easy to drink. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. But, yeah, like I feel the same about about um, attention. Please, just like beefed up. Yeah, you just, get, yeah, I get a little fruit tea now. I mean, maybe it's just because we're talking about it, but it just there's fascinating. A, there's a lot of hops in this beer, um, but not overly bitter, and so you get more of that balance of kind of melon and cream um, tea. Mm-hmm. Notes for sure from the hops. It is a, a plant, so there yeah. are going to be similarities within that. But have you locked into different regions that you feel like you respond to with hops? Is it like? Is a, I know that their specific Northwest is just the perfect climate for it. When I was talking, or I to, wonder if that's like a time of year thing too. Like, well, uh, when I talked to Jeff Poppin, the Barefoot Farmer, about like growing hops, and I have some of his that's a cool hops. Dude. That's he a cu- cool dude. Yeah, he's a cool dude for sure. He, and he cut me some root. Um, cuttings of his hops that I grow at my house and it's hard to get like a ton of them and and I was talking to him about like well how could I get more hops and how could I kind of grow them better and how could I do this and and he just you know was completely zen about it and he was just like well hops don't do so well here and that's just the way it is and they do really well up there but you know up in up in Washington State but you know they can't grow sweet potatoes like we can we can grow this and they can grow that and that's yep. just the way it is yeah. it's not not you know there's not a ton of changing that unless you're you know going to be spending money on I guess grow houses and things like that which is coming to <laughs> Nashville I'm sure but uh but yeah are there are there regions and and places that you've locked into and seasons and Definitely definitely I think with the agricultural product you know uh, there's only so much you can do as a farmer or there's yeah. only so much you can do in like uh, fermentation. You know, yeah. a lot of it is left to other things happening and already working with your yeast or something like that. But with hops, you have your climate, right? And so uh, when you look at grapes, where do some grapes grow? Where do they not grow? Well, hops work in a very similar way uh, or they express dif- differently if it's hotter or colder. And so a lot, a good bit of our hops, uh, so like citra, our citra comes from the Pacific Northwest. A lot of our mosaic comes from up there. You know, you're looking more the Yakima mm-hmm. Valley. Um, there's some really great hops being grown in Michigan right now. So, but yeah, colder climate. Uh, it doesn't cook the hops as much. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't burn them up. So they yield better. They retain more oil. And I think a lot of our hops come from the Pacific Northwest for our contracts. That's so, cool. Yeah. yeah. There's so much innovation up there, too, with all the farmers. Mm. Um, they're literally working night and day to just try and make the best hops and to deliver that flavor and aroma to all the people using them. It's, it's really inspiring. Like, it's yeah. so cool to work with hops. Yeah. And then, like, see the farmers that are growing them and it's what they've produced. And it's, I think it's just been elevating with everybody. You know, sometimes when you put a spotlight on something, it really – lifts up that part of the industry and so it's like when people start using more hops like i mean hop farming's been around for so long but it's like different styles of hops are now being pushed or there's more experimentation of new hops being grown so it's just always something new and fun to get to work on and i love it well i think it's time kenneth can we do uh can we do some business yeah all right the time has come News with Kenneth Dedman. Who's hungry for news? Man, I really like the intros. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth, what's booze worthy out there? Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> what is booze worthy? Um, I guess we'll start like local news. Local news. Nashville news. And local news. It's a 
it's an easy one to like dig on as well um easy target yeah yeah i'm sure you both you you both fucking know about it like october 29th in response to a uh, a, a metro nashville ordinance the party bus industry through a uh, a protest entitled uh don't lose the booze a, a, a rally <laughs> booze news worthy don't rally. lose the booze <laughs> that's central national news a rally yeah. to jam up traffic on a friday morning in order to protest an ordinance that is against them jamming up traffic <laughs> perfect it's fucking crazy but uh uh some of the uh Big name, big name uh, party buses and pedal taverns that kind of read like uh, shitty Nashville bands that play on Broadway. Hell on Wheels, um, <laughs> Nashville Tractor. <laughs> the Nashville, Not a lot of innovation with that Sprocket name. Rocket, Nashville Tractor. <laughs> um, off the Wagon Tours and Nashville Party Barge were some of the many, many uh, party bus slash uh, entertainment vehicles protesting a December 1st ordinance, basically banning alcohol on their vehicles. It's been a long time coming as a, Nash- as a Nashville resident. They've, they've grown in number mm-hmm. and uh, their perimeter, their perimeter has grown as well. I see them all over kind of like the central loop of down, like the, I don't know, like a lot of folks consider downtown Nashville just inside the loop of the interstate. I kind of, I kind of look at it that way as well. Yep. Um, I've seen everywhere, everywhere inside the loop. Jamming yeah. When you traffic. start seeing them off eighth, you know, and kind of eighth encroaching into downtown, that's well, you're like, I, I'm in the roundabout and there's a fucking tractor with a huge, but it's not a farm tractor. It's a, get people fucked up track yeah someone like hanging out hanging out the window i'm not a freaking like uh i'm no like a negative nelly or like uh like a greasy old granny or what you kids call people these days but like <laughs> sometimes uh, but but there's no fucking way these things are cool like uh like uh, all these guys are like threatening that our 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 tourism industry is gonna it's gonna crumble because people book airline tickets and make like uh, reservations at hotels and restaurants to come to Nashville the entire vacation culminating in like riding around on a school bus wasted. You know what pisses me off about the school buses? Mm, preach. Uh, Paul is uh is like they they're slow. Like I I like the pedal taverns I can understand people these like uh, out of shape people that are that are that are powering the motherfucker but like <laughs> These fucking school buses have a they have a they have like a V eight engine in them like they could they could fucking gun it like now, we're crossing the bridge like these folks like now uh, they're on a schedule of milking cash out of these people I don't even know how the like the the whole thing is I I, I think it's BYOB like none of them have like a like a tra- like a traveling like beer license or mm, anything like yeah. that I think they have to have like an on premises something. It's 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 been heavily unregulated for so right, long. Right, I don't think it's BYOB. We did used to have the that, horse carts, you know. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like but it, I normal mean, like, cities we didn't have. have as we didn't have as many horse carts as like 
like whatever the like hot tub um, limos and shit like that. That might be something for the for the breweries to hop on. If they can't be drinking on, if they can't be drinking on these things, then perhaps little pit stops. It could be like a travel, or you like need a, a you know a little travel logger, the logger limo or something. I think <laughs> I, there's, know, I like, think there's going to be some innovation that springs out of this. You know, yeah. all these folks have they. I mean, like they've quadru. They, I feel like every month for a good ten years. I think about 10 years ago was the first time I saw one, like a pedal tavern. They've slowed, they, it was kind of exponential, like a pandemic, I guess. Like, now that I know about pandemics, like, yeah. I could compare them to that. Uh-huh. Did they start with birds? Was it like pedal taverns and birds showed up? What are birds? The, the scooters? scooters? No, pedal, pedal taverns. I feel like the pedal taverns were Pedal first. taverns were ev- around for a long time because there were companies that were, uh, that were perpetuating the, uh, Segways. Segways. Oh, Segways oh, were right. a big thing yeah. Yeah. for a long time. And now now all of a sudden now Segways aren't aren't cool. Right? Oh, those things are fun. <laughs> those things are so think, yeah, like I, I I used to hate on Segways before I saw the birds, before the pedal taverns, before the party buses. And now I'm kinda into them. Yeah, because there's so much Have you ridden one? Not no. cool, but no, never. Never. Okay. You gotta ride one. You don't have I, I to do a tour. It. Just find somebody with a Segway and go ride one. I think you'll have a different tune. Are they fun? Because the scooters, uh, I don't know what brand the scooters are now. The Like Lime? There's or, a couple of them. There's yeah. a bunch There's of them. They're fucking, you know, my wife works in the emergency room. Um, she sees plenty of those. Plenty of, because they're, they're, they're a little squirrely. Dude, I've, like taken one, I've taken one home I before. They, it was they like 6.6 like, miles. <laughs> oh, well. Took me 30 minutes. But there was definitely no a thought deal. of like, Okay, if I take a lift home, it's going to be $15, mm-hmm. and it's going to take me 15 you know. Mm-hmm. Was that pre-pandemic or po- yeah. like... Yeah, uh, pre-pandemic. I just got my first Uber ride. It's, um, it's changed. It, <laughs> it, it, post, like post-pandemic, I had my first Uber ride, and it was, it was about double what it was pre-pandemic. Mm. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not complaining. Yeah. Like, fucking... Like uh, I guess you can't because it's a ride. Honestly, dude, <laughs> you can't like, complain. Uh, the difference between hike uh, up the, the Uber luxury and the reggae Uber was was a lot. Was not much. I mean, yeah. But it used to be a lot. So I ordered like uh like what what they used to call Uber Black. And I was like, fuck, if it's gonna be this expensive. I'll just fucking tag on like three more six bucks. Yeah, like, you get an armrest yeah. and maybe a leather seat yeah. and better stereo system. It was cool. It was like some dude. Real quiet dude in a, in a Range Rover. Request some Joe to see or Keith Sweat or something. Vibe out on the way home. Silence. <laughs> it, but, was, uh, it was the first time that I've had any sort of transportation. Not even like a party bus. I haven't done any any sort of trans weird transportation or like normal transportation. Like I haven't been on a flight or anything like that. Mm. People are going nuts hey, a lot. Going you got anything to, in the? I'm not here to be nuts. You got anything in the going nuts files or what's next? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah! This is nuts. Um, everyone's running out of shit. Like uh, this week, uh, we already covered. We were already talking about sourcing and shit. But like, uh, Spain's about to rum, run out of rum, whiskey. This is today. Rum, whiskey, gin, vodka, because of Brexit. Like, there's kind of like a with with the trade problem or like the um, uh, logistics and distribution problems the world is facing. Uh, and Brexit, 
Spain's almost out of rum, whiskey, gin, and vodka. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And they make some cool rum, but they probably don't make enough to sustain the appetite for rum. Well, I'm sure they have like plenty of wine. They have plenty of shit, but like anyone that like wants to get name brand stuff, it's going to get weird. It's get already yeah. weird here, and it's going to get worse like pretty soon. Pretty soon like um this this fall, I predict like we'll have some weird uh supply chain problems. Nothing like yeah. nothing like like everyone like buying all the toilet paper or anything like that. It'll be some stupid shit. Yeah. Like um, people are gonna have to alter their drinking habits potentially. I think alter a, their holiday you know, wines. A, there's know. a lot of great products out there, so you, yeah, you yeah. have to like, dude, you know, I, I, cultivate variety. Right? Yeah, like, that's right. That's, that's what right. I was thinking Paul, like I was in. Kroger. That's good. We have Paul here. I go, Paul's like, just drink what you can find and fucking get over it. I have so much <laughs> beer in these tanks. Just come and drink some. Yeah. You go to yeah. the grocery store. Go to your local right fucking brewery. Close. Yeah, you see they're out of something and try something new. And there's something. All the smoke damage want grapes in yeah. California. They're going to be distilled into brandy for the. So that's coming out too. I just didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> like they're making vodkas and brandies uh-huh. out there uh-huh. in California because uh-huh. the grapes yeah. went bad and yeah. their they their insurance sucks because they have shitty insurance and the sh- insurance companies that they do get. There's an old saying: "Luck is in the leftovers." You know, it's yeah. cool stuff. So anyway, like if you're either buying brandy, gin, or vodka this coming holiday season, get California's newest high-end smoky brandy. Uh, like I'm sure, I'm sure the smoke will like uh, they'll distill the the smokiness out of it. Well, we're we're carrying a, a Chardonnay at Audrey mm-hmm. that was affected by the smoke and everything, and there's no there's no trace of it. There's no trace of smoke or anything. So there's been some varieties where it wasn't a big deal. I feel like more white Did they white stress wines. the fact that they didn't manipulate it too? I don't, I don't know that they did or didn't, but I just know that there's one that we have that was supposedly the area that it was in was affected, but this particular wine was not. And uh, we've got an amazing Psalm there with an incredible Hall of Fame nose, Jody. Sure. I always talk about her Hall of Fame nose because I always want her to smell anything I'm doing or anything I'm tasting. Hey, smell this. What, you know. Um, but yeah, she doesn't get any, any so, of that. So it was the winery, the, the, the winery was affected, but, right. but the vineyard that the Chardonnay came from was as well. No, yeah, the vineyard was affected, but the wine, it didn't come through. It's really not there. It's super clean and it's really nice. So uh, maybe they're claiming to be affected like they, like there was smoke, but like, you're uh, so mistrusting. <laughs> I'm just saying like, maybe they're marketing. Smoke. They're like, Hey, don't come in today because there's too much smoke out here. Like we're not going to do anything. Yeah. Just they're going to cut labor. Let's play call of duty. Like, <laughs> but like, uh, well, yeah, they said it was affected. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, they said That's it was. Some story. people trust them, but there's you, a, there's, you don't. Dude, clearly. A whole, I just know that there's a whole <laughs> like there's a secondary industry in California, um, in Oregon, some parts of Washington, um, <laughs> that uh, that like uh, mask smoke in products mm. in similar industries, not mm. the same industry. But. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. All right. We'll, we'll get to that next. Sounds like well, ro- skip aroma whole, validations like... coming to Audrey. Yeah. Aroma validation. <laughs> yes. I didn't know what it was called. <laughs> I didn't know what it was called, but now I do. What else? What in else London, is going on out there? Okay. At Buckingham Palace. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to get back to the queen. Okay. Yeah. Like, thank we'll, you. We'll stick to an old standard. Yeah. Paul, uh, in case you don't know, it's not all the time. 
Yeah, but just, we, just like Florida, it's not all the time, but we will do. We have a trending focus on the royal family. Yeah, people like to hear what's going on with the queen and what she's drinking, how yeah, she's drinking, I mean, what's going on with her. It's just yeah. fodder, yeah. bar fodder is what we call it. Yeah, like when you're at the pub and you're watching a, a match, some sort of match. You hear some things. You talk about the queen and shit like that. Anyway, uh, yeah, Princess Eugenie's who is uh, is married to a gentleman named uh, Jack Brook Brookshank. Are you familiar with that name, Mike? No. Well, he is the current owner of uh, Casa Amigos Tequila. Ah, he's the dude who bought it? Yeah. yeah. From the Cloonster? Uh, okay. Yeah, like uh, basically a, like a worldwide glorified tequila tequila salesman, amongst other things. Now he's... Doing very well. Yeah, he's married into, yeah, so... he's married into the... Royal family. I was talking to uh, our buddy Tyler, Tyler Alkins over at Love and Exile Wines recently, mm-hmm. talking to about how the new bar is going over there. For our listeners who don't know, the new bar over there is open at Love and Exile Wines off Main Street in East Nashville. They were affected by the tornado pretty heavily and uh, have had to kind of rebuild the whole test. Affected by the tornado? Well, I mean, they had their... Okay, let me just be specific just then, kidding. dickhead. They fucking had their roof blown off by the okay. tornado. Okay, and their tasting affected. room fucked up. Hit uh, by the but, tornado. Yeah, they got hit by it. Yeah. Um, so they uh, they um, have recently reopened their bar and everything. And uh, was talking to him about, like, how's the bar doing? Apparently, it's just crushing. But he said that Casamigos Tequila has been super popular. And it's, like, kind of the new Hennessy. It's real and that good. people are drinking like it's Anejo Casamigos in huge amounts it's in Nashville. Yeah. I can see that. It tastes yeah. like a it's it's tequila that tastes like a vanilla bean. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Anyway, now that we've mm-hmm. established right. Uh, right. this this man, the news <laughs> and his uh, and his marital status and his relationship <laughs> to Queen Elizabeth, uh, he uh, uh, recently let spill that uh, the Queen has multiple underground tunnels to uh, local bars throughout London. One of name is from the St James Palace uh, that goes uh, underground to. Uh, to the Duke Hotel, and more specifically, the Duke Bar, where it is rumored that the Queen has had uh, her nightly, sh- uh, which the the martini. martini. She has her nightly the, martini. The Dubonnet there yeah. often. Yeah, like uh, that was a lot because we all we've we've already covered how much she loves martinis. Yep, and Dubonnets. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what you're telling me is everything from 007 is true in London. Essentially, you can, you can I anywhere. mean, like, yeah, pretty it's, much. It's, yeah, it's not it's not far fetched that the, like land land developers will like keep a couple things in their pocket. Like that's planning ahead, dude. You know about the like the 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 catacombs in Paris and those that society down. You you watch those YouTube videos and stuff. <laughs> the, cat, the catacombs, it's crazy. Like, uh, yeah, people. I, I guess in London, they're like the the queen's in control of the underground and the above ground. But it's crazy, yeah. Like Buckingham Palace has something like eight hundred rooms, so a lot of these were developed over the years as just ways for just the royal family to get around the property really quickly. And it's just an underground side. Might as well, yeah. Anyway, that I, that was super fucking cool. And, I didn't yep, know that. Uh, That's really cool. And, but uh, now she can't drink anymore. Were you going to get into that? No, she can. She, There's Casa Amigos down there. 
<laughs> okay. I imagine, like, yeah. to the public, she doesn't drink. Like, uh, she's getting fucking into tequila. She, she drives a lot. She's like ditching the Dubonnet. When she's on their Welsh property, she she uh, she does her her own driving. Her own driving, right? Yeah, we we covered that on a very on an old booze news okay. um, on a previous booze news. All right. So she's uh, gone from public Dubonnet, public champagne, public semi martini, to secret underground tequila. Her drinking yeah. habits continue to be. An ongoing, fascinating theme on our show. Well, it's a great, it. it's a great, like, I, it's a great distraction from everyone else in her family. Yeah, right. I'm right. tuning in. I got to stay up to date on what's going on. Yeah, I mean, God, I just hope she's with us a lot longer. Got to get her on the show. She won't be with us too long. It's going to be a tough day when longer, we have to but... do the Queen episode. Liquid Gold Dutch Show. Maybe new maybe website. She owns like her own CRISPR, like uh, genetic. Uh, sequence altering like device i like, could see her having there. having the ability to stick her brain in the world wide web so maybe like stay awake stay stay alive that you way you can imagine her like maybe like all the science that they've had so far is to just keep you stuck in time where you're at so even though she's like a bajillion years old like she's still stuck maybe like 10 years ago at like 90 or something mm. so she'll like never age past I don't think anyone ever does age past 90 anyway. Like, really, like... <laughs> they just stay that she's age. She's the queen. So, she's a few moves ahead. You know? Yeah. She's, yeah. She's way ahead of us. That's clear. Okay. In serious in serious news, like, mm. uh, to round it up, guys. Mm. Okay, so if you Google... Say if you just type into, like, Google or whatever your search engine is these days. Um, if, you, if you type Black Irish... You're going to be faced, or if you do it, image search, it'd be even better because um, if, you, if you type Black Irish, no matter what, Mariah Carey is going to pop up. Hmm. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, as we uh, exit the. That is news. As That's we news exit the Commonwealth. <laughs> as we exit the Commonwealth and uh, <laughs> into the Republic of Ireland, uh, Mariah Carey. Um, Coinciding with uh, the release of her cream liqueur, whoa, named Black Irish. Oh God, I had no idea about this. An extensive problem. Tro- Not to be confused with. <laughs> she is having extensive, <laughs> extensive troubles getting her product released in uh, in the Republic of Ireland and the rest of the European Union. It is actually on hold while she is it called Black Irish. It is called Black Irish. Yes, it is. Mm. Uh, okay. it, is it is a cream liqueur, uh, an Irish cream liqueur Damn. per se, that harkens to her ancestry. Her, her father, her father was uh, a, a, a black man, a man of African descent, mm-hmm. and her mother, her mother had um, a wee bit of Irish in her. Mm. So I would homage. love to know it's that homage. I'm related to Mariah Carey. Probably to her family. Yeah, I'm um, probably. Have you in. had it yet? No, no, not not yet, not yet. Anyway, we had our you know our first episode of shots ever. It was the second episode of Liquid Gold, it was about Irish cream. Really? Yeah, we had whiskey cream recipes. Mariah Carey's company. Uh, she's a partner with a gentleman named John Herzog. They both own a place called uh, something called Splashes Beverages, who owns the trademark to uh, Black Irish Cream Liqueur. They have filed three. 
one dispute with Splash's Beverages and two disputes with Herzog Holdings against darker, darker still spirits who holds the trademark name to black Irish beverages, which is an Irish owned Irish owned beverage brand that hmm. has a uh, a whiskey named Black Irish that is that is finished with a with a stout whiskey. Um, a hmm. spokesman for uh, darker still beverages, Richard Ryan said said on Mariah Carey's three disputes to their trademarks, uh, you don't assimilate with Irish culture while simultaneously doing everything in your power to damage an actual Irish business. Wow. <laughs> oh, is uh, is Assimilate, pretty... though? I mean, if she is part Irish, I don't know. Well, her parents are part Irish. Yeah, yeah, but... Go on. Darker still is uh is guys have been in business for thirty years. They're really fired up. Uh, quite literally, Mister Ryan said, "We are Irish, so we called it Irish because it is predominantly Irish whiskey." This is so Irish. We called it Black Irish because it is black. The liquid is black, and it is Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Miss Carrie. Um, there's no actual like it's probably just going to play out in litigation and uh as far as i know international trademarks are kind of like follow the american model if you applied for it which this brand did in 2015 um Mm. that probably beats mariah carey's like august 2021 application but apparently they're trying to discredit the irish brand speculate speculation dictates that they are wow y'all ever get a, get anything weird with your uh say like you name something uh that uh pisses someone off with a uh, bearded iris or like nobody's generally pissed off with it i i don't think you know i think the biggest confusion with is with our name to where it's like uh people see bearded irises everywhere but it's like you don't oh. hear it a ton did you know that there's a bearded iris named paul black do you know about that whole thing no yeah, so this came up when I was like um, googling some information It'd be about like the breeder's name, and he just named it. Yeah, yeah, himself. and they called it yeah. Paul Black Bearded Iris. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. Yeah, yeah so they... you could you could do like a stout in, you know, in They're... tribute to this guy, <laughs> the Paul Black. You're like I'm Paul. He's Paul Black. This is my stout. Yeah. It's a bearded iris. I don't know. It's cool in the in the horticultural world. For on, on that, like where names come from. Yeah. Um, it's uh, just basically people sciencing the shit out of flowers and creating new color patterns that have never been created before. Sure. So sometimes you get names that are yeah. uh, award-winning and they just name it their name to like lock that in. You know, yep. when you discover like a new animal mm-hmm. or a new species, uh, you know, sometimes it's just a riff off the person's name. But with the irises, they're so colorful and so unique to each one that is created, to where like. They, the name is an identifier for that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen the Paul Black. Yeah, there's a Paul Black bearded iris. That's yeah. it's really beautiful. I feel like it's like kind of purple. Um, you, yeah, you brought that up. Yeah, that's pretty cool. How did you? Uh, how did you kind of circle in on that or zero in on that name of bearded iris? Was we're, it? We're looping back. Yeah, we're yeah. looping back to news. That's right. Um, Looking, we're professionals. Yeah, I think uh, you know me and one of my business partners uh, both grew up in Murfreesboro. And so 
we wanted kind of a connection to there, where we're there from. There it is, yeah. But where mm-hmm. we could go. And so yeah. beard irises grow all over the world. You know, they're in Germany, they're in Japan, they're in Iran. They grow everywhere. Yeah. Um, and Did you go to like Oakland High School? Riverdale and Siegel. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but wanted kind of a way to, we came back home. You know, we looked at a lot of places where beard irises could exist. And we ultimately chose to come back home. Yeah. You know, we wanted to be in Nashville. And so kind of wanted a connection to there. But also how our company could grow around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully one day, you know, you got a dream. Yeah. So yeah, we started digging in, and you know, you dig into the beard iris and then the horticultural society for irises. They're just like, it's wild. You know, there's this blending of art and science. He's <laughs> just like, I n- did not know this existed. So then we like went deeper, and uh, so we all of our beers are named after beard irises. So attention, please, home style. Uh, those are all irises that have their own color pattern unique to themselves. So we, oh, cool. we borrow from but pay homage uh, to th- those people that created those irises mm. uh, for our beers to kind of shed light on that. And, yeah, it's just the digger. Uh, we have books going back, so they started categorizing <clears throat> them back in the 20s and 30s to where um, they started logging them because they were so unique. So all of our names, yeah, are come from a flower that has been created or – uh, and has its own unique color pattern. So kind That's of another awesome. layer. We don't really put that out there. You know, we wanted uh, kind of layers. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you got to peel it away to get that. Yeah. You got to be late in the podcast. Yeah. Maybe post, <laughs> post boosters. Back. Yeah. Stick around. Yes. <laughs> you never know Drop what you might. Bomb. You never yeah. know what you might learn. Yeah. So it's huh? kind of cool too being in studio. We can like talk at the same time. Remember that was a tough one with the. That's why my dad made me know? watch like the credits at the like, end of the movie. Talk at and, the same like, time. Uh, Sometimes you're like hard. straight up. You just uh, haven't shut it off yet. You haven't hit the space bar. You know when you're on your laptop and it's like still running and you're just like. This is kind of amazing about the iris, and this has always fascinated me. So the flavor of violet. And and the yeah okay yeah you know all about this I'm oh, sure no. yeah so the the one of the ways to get that violet florality of a violet into gin that's the most common or you know amaro or whatever is to use the root of the iris plant the orris root um, have you guys ever played around with that into getting like a spring floral violety kind of beer or? we so that's something never, we should do we've for never the spring. played in the orris root yeah um, but definitely. Uh, I think for an aromatic thing, it is cool in the alcohol yeah. world. Yeah. Um, do not go take beard irises and add them to liquor. <laughs> but right. the root is a different piece of that uh, and is highly aromatic. Yeah. But it's also, I think. So you some, haven't used it before. We haven't. Yeah. Uh, it takes time. You yeah. know, the, yeah. there's people that for iris farms uh, in Italy, just for different drinks, will take the root, the orris root, and age it. I think it's two years. Mm. Two years minimum, where a lot of them like to do after so, harvesting it. After harvest, Holy they'll shit. for two years. It's. Uh, I knew I needed to ask you about this. Yeah. This is like, amazing. Are they curing it? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So it it evolves. You know, or Jesus. It softens. I don't know. I've never. It I, takes that. Long I would love to, to like smell some fresh ones. I haven't uh, dug up. Yeah, mine I've, in or, the yard, I've ordered it before and used it, but never. Yeah, never dug it up and like tried to uh, try to. Uh, I dig them up there up at the Capitol right there. I was tempted to dig a few up and just you know maybe in two years we'll we'll circle back. Let's fuck around with it. Yeah, yeah. There, uh, I've got some in my front yard. We could probably dig up a little bit. We could take, take a little root. But you know, when you dig them up, you're like, man, <laughs> I liked them there. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. So you still have more to experiment with. It never stops in the creative world. It, I mean, you know, there's always something new to that you're inspired from, or that 
you learn from people or, you know, you're sharing a picture and you learn something new. Yeah. Just before we go, um, so they talked about the black Irish and they're like, well, it's stout's black. And that's why we call it that. And we're Irish, which I love. I love all that. But you, you guys make some amazing stouts there. And that like, there's a lot of people who are like, dude, they're stouts. Oh my God. Uh, there's a gentleman that we worked with at K and K who was just all about your stouts. And he was just like, when you had a stout release or something, he was, you know, he'd, it would be like eight o'clock and he'd be like, sorry, I got to go. I got to go down there and get some stout. <laughs> he'd just leave the line, go down, <laughs> get some stout, come back. What, what makes a stout just for our listeners? Like what makes a stout? There's like a roasting of things that happens, but what, um, can you tell us a little bit about what makes a stout for our listeners, but also, um, what is special about like your stouts yeah. and your, your whole thinking about that? I think blending in too on the name, we've definitely been people like, Oh, bearded Irish. And it's like, no, it's not bearded Irish. It's bearded Iris. But yeah. I guess sometimes, you know, a little different accents and stuff. People are but so drunk uh, yeah. when they come to, to Iris. Yeah. Uh, yeah. not beard Irish. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, stout, what makes a stout is really a lot of darker roasted malts. Mm-hmm. So in the kilning pro in the killing process, uh, you know, Everything has a certain time uh, when it sprouts and then how long they roast it for. And some stuff will get roasted more towards almost caramelized mm-hmm. to a point. And so when you layer in those different malts, um, they add a lot more uh, characteristics that would be think of your coffee being mm-hmm. roasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's taking basically part of a fr- piece of a fruit, uh, the core of a fruit, mm-hmm. and roasting it. So you get that that sugar caramelizes. Mm-hmm. That's in malt. That's in your coffee. That's mm-hmm. in a lot of things that are roasted. And when you use those and you infuse them in water and you extract that sugar, those carry through. And so a stout is just going to essentially be more roasty, more darker, more caramelized malts, uh, and then cooked down into you know your stew of, yeah. of the kettle, the wort, mm-hmm. and that all condenses and creates something more dessert-like because when you're making desserts too, a lot of the times you have things roasted. You know, you're taking nuts, you're roasting them before right. they go into chocolate that's been already roasted for cacao. Sure. So, and it's like to- a, using it's like spices it, yeah. when I made Coca-Cola. Yeah. I made sure to toast those spices, but you have to get that perfect. Yeah. You can't overdo it. So when you see this trend through a lot of things of like roastiness or chocolate, uh, if you look back at what created chocolate or like, you know, uh, challenge people to go and research chocolate or coffee or dig into other industries and Mm -hmm. see like what actually makes those roasty or what Mm. makes it chocolate. Mm -hmm. And I think a a lot at Beard Iris, our team is very science focused and research based. Mm -hmm. And so people dig in, you know, when we start using coffee, they're digging in and seeing how do you make good coffee? Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to be informed by how you make coffee. Mm-hmm. Then we'll make a beer that tastes like coffee. Yeah. Or kind of looking at cacao or vanilla. What? How do you make vanilla? You know, like dig into that. And so you can best express those ingredients in a liquid form. And so it's really. And then you're in the cooking realm a little then bit. Then you're it's yeah. very close. You yeah. know, um, a chocolate chip cookie is a hard thing to make. Sure. If, you know, if you're yeah. just like. You're a little too far. Yeah. Not the same. Still trying to make good chocolate chip cookies, but. Yeah. Wow. I think uh, that thought of just like digging in, researching the, those ingredients to know how to use them really matters too. 
you know, sometimes you can freestyle, but it might not be what you want to be right? or what you want to do and yeah. showcase. You know? Yeah. Well, and we can even pull that back to sugar because when you're caramelizing sugar, that's a delicate process and you can go too far to where you get like that burnt sugar. And there's like this line where you can use burnt sugar as something cool, you know, where it's like, well, it's got a little bit of bitterness to it, but it's all sugar. So it's like this caramelization, but the, the burnt quality of it, as long as you have other things going on, you can add that as a bitter element and then either use all that sugar to sweeten it or you have to add other sugar to that. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that sort of Coca-Cola mystery thing that we were talking about earlier. But you can go too far with it. And is it the same with stouts? Is it like that delicate when you're... Because when you're like, quote unquote, burning sugar or you're caramelizing sugar... It's a delicate process. Is it similar with stouts? Is it delicate to the point that like, yo, you just, you overcooked this and now it's fucking done. Does that happen? Or do you like, no, this is cool. We can work with this. I don't know. It's very delicate. You know, everybody knows when you burn the biscuits, you know, it's uh, you can taste it. And some people like them that way, but it's yeah. overall, you know, we'd call it French roast. <laughs> yeah. French roast. <laughs> but overall, you know, when it's burnt. And so it is, you know, when you're brewing stouts, you have a lot more sugar than you typically would in a lower alcohol beer to get mm. the alcohol. You got to start with a lot of sugar to ferment it down. Right. Yep. And so when you're, you basically have candy and you know, some of the stouts everybody's making these days are like, there's a lot of sugar. It's like yeah. very sweet wort. Mm-hmm. And so if you sear that, you know, depending on the brew house you're using and stuff like that, like if you aren't paying attention, you can over caramelize and there could be a more roasty quality that you might not have been looking for. But so, yeah, it's like I said, when we were talking about, uh, it's just like lagers, stouts, IPAs, they're all treated differently, but they're definitely nuanced on like a level of you have to pay attention because like a stout shouldn't be burnt. Yeah. Right. You know, a lager should be clean or, you know, what you're going for, but you still have to pay attention to those notes. But stouts are hard because of all that sugar. Yeah. Have you ever got there to a happy accident where you're like, this is overcooked, but we we figured something out. Like that's happened with, uh, I mean, isn't that how chocolate chip cookies got invented? It was like a dough that that, that got cooked too far. Yeah, yeah, right? I, I like to learn about chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like there's been accidents over time. French fries, maybe one. You know, like, yeah. it's just like this got overcooked. And, and But have you ever I had that happen chocolate with? chocolate chip cookies were invented, like, the day someone got chocolate chips, dude. They're like, oh, God, they make chocolate chips? Like, <laughs> take I it got, to Tommy. Got... He makes cookies. No, actually, you're wrong. Tommy, next I'm door. sorry. Take I, him these chocolate chips. Tell I him do. To put them in. I do believe that it was like chunks of chocolate that fell into the dough, or that was in the dough, uh, and it was after the fact that they were like, "Oh my God, these these uh, cooked bread cookie things are amazing," and then they realized they needed to have chocolate chips in order to recreate them. Yeah, we'll get you back for that. Stouts and chocolate chip cookies i'd say very similar yeah like, you should have a stout and eat a chocolate chip cookie have a beamish you, have a beamish and a chocolate chip cookie as opposed to a guinness and chop chocolate chip yeah and guinness Something is incredible creamy. because right. no you're, you're probably looking at a guinness and you're like well i'm not going i'm not touching that because that's guinness but like do you ever get the temptation to be like we should try to make uh you know i just i haven't seen it um but have you tried to make something like lighter on that 
is that playing with fire? Is that like you can't uh, even talk about it kind of thing? Cause, no, I definitely yeah. enjoy Guinness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I like Guinness whenever it's served. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> we're, we're looping through. But mm-hmm. uh, I think overall. The Irish Coca-Cola. Very similar. Yeah. yeah. Overall, yeah. we've made some lighter stouts, kind of playing on that lighter pastry uh, platform of, you know, again, that balance of, you know, Still being sweeter like a dessert, but not 10% alcohol, you know, being a little more sessionable. We did a, we came out with a beer. We've been doing more blended style uh, stouts. We've come out with two. We just did one with a called Executive Decision, where we took a pastry stout uh, with a, like a whole lot of coconut and blended in some bourbon barrels that had some age uh, from Pinhook and Willet. And mm-hmm. so, kind of that idea of taking something old and new but in a stout and adding those layers in so you kind of have something that's been sitting for a while you get more of that barrel characteristic then you still have that display of like not aged coconut like fresh coconut so you can blend those together oh, and it, it turns into a really cool flavor that's awesome yeah oh, amazing yeah i love it well um this has been incredible Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys. Yeah, um, I feel like we're cool going to be fuck. sitting and having some beers and talking some more in the future. Yeah, I feel like I right so. after this on the back porch. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that that maybe maybe that's a, our follow up podcast that we need to start the back porch where we just finish the episode and then go out in the back porch and keep talking with more beer. Dude, we can run more the, beer involved. I know you have to go to place, work. Like, uh, can Kenneth has to go to work. We Get take, face we take drinks to husk. All <laughs> right. That's yeah, what we could do it. Down. We could do it on their back porch. Paul Vaughn of Bearded Iris. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you guys. Beardedirisbrewing.com. They've got the new location at 4101 Charlotte Avenue where they're serving the Black Dynasty ramen. Our friends from Black Dynasty are making incredible ramen and serving it out of the new Sylvan Supply location at Bearded Iris. And then, as always, go check out their flagship location. 101 Van Buren Street, right there in Germantown. You can go there. That's a great place to drink and play pool. You still got the pool tables? Oh, it's not going anywhere. Fucking A. That is a great place to drink. Masters of Stout, Legends of Lager, (laughs) Perfectionists of Pilsner, and they make me happy with their hops. I don't know. (laughs) We can share websites now. We've got the new Liquid Gold website. Do check it out, liquidgold.show. You can go there. You can find out a little info about us and mostly info on all our past episodes. There's a lot that we've covered over the years here. We're closing in on three years, so shout out to Michael Eads and everyone at We Own This Town. Check out all that We Own This Town has to offer at weownthistown.net. The music show, always a favorite. They've got the new Mom Cult podcast. They've got, uh, I think the the Filmography uh, Club podcast is relaunched, So, um, and it's been great to be back here in studio getting real and talking beer and all these beautiful bitter and sweet notes of life um if you hadn't checked it out yet go back and check out the nochino episode where we got to sit back and drink some of paul's homemade nochino the best way to experience it we will see you next time for my co-host kenneth deadman that was a great booze news today. Thank, <laughs> thank you for updating us on the queen we'll have more on the queen next time because there's a lot going on over there um, so we'll probably have to update you on the queen next time. Um, Paul, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. We'll see you next time right here on Liquid Gold.